one more time. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I welcome you to Wow, what a show. We are here to exalt the name of Jesus Christ, to lift him up and to thank him and praise him for his greatness, his goodness, his mercy, his love, his calling. And we are in a series titled Apples of Gold. Isn't that wonderful? We're reading through Proverbs and the Lord has been so beautifully faithful to us. He always is. We're never disappointed when we spend time with the Lord and in his word and giving him his due because he is amazing every way. And just like the psalmist writes, the heavens are constantly declaring his glory. Also, the firmament, when we look above, it's showing his handiwork. How about that? The brush of an artist does not compare to what the Lord has done in giving us a skyscape, letting us see the beautiful display of those things that are set there. And what's more, they are of practical value and use in his world. And then it, it is written there in Psalm 19 that the night shows knowledge. Come on, let's think about it. In the night time when the world is dark, it is just perfect for giving man a sense of time to rest. You know, we have the seven days, on the seventh day, the Sabbath, when we were supposed to rest, right? But don't you think about it. Every evening, he gives us a, a quiet night darkness, right? So that we can also rest. And then just in case you have to be outside, you've got these twinkling, beautiful stars up there to give light and the moon if it's not overcast. And if it happens to be overcast, it's for a good reason, because the waters come down from the heavens to feed the dry earth when it is necessary. And in so doing, every seed planted is there to be watered and causes germination and growth. God is really amazing. Honest goodness, I invite you to take time to just sit and, and talk to him, think about it, look at it, see it, right? And we're just, you know, highlighting a few. There's so much more to see, so much more to experience than just what you can see when you walk outside. If you happen to live near tributaries or, you know, lakes and oceans and streams and, and little uh, springs in mountains, or if you are living near mountains, or if you're living on flat land and you can watch fields of lavender and buttercups and you know, forget-me-nots and all of the beautiful flowers that grow just in the wild, let alone those that we go and plant. I suppose all of them at one time did grow in the wild, but some of them are just beautiful and they're harvested so that we can plant them around our homes. We have roses, all kinds of stuff. You know, God, it goes on and on. And then to behold a newborn baby come on, what miracle is that and how it it happened to watch a woman carry a child that is amazing to me and then to see each other we see in each other the amazing gifts that god has given and those gifts manifest back into the world the glory of god 
And whether you are in the kingdom or out, the Bible says he doesn't take them back. Even when you do not regard him as the giver, he doesn't take it back. And to every man, he has given a lifespan that you may have time to search it all out and to discover that he loves you the individual. God loves us each and every one. And so we have been visiting in the book of Proverbs. By the way, I'm your host, Phyllis Ledbetter. I am here. I've been here all, all the month. You know, every time we do a live cast, I, I am here. And we've had some amazing, wonderful commentary coming from appointed readers. The Lord knew exactly who to call to this task and who he wanted to hear it. So here we have been in great fellowship, loving one another and appreciating and giving God praise for his goodness, for the wonderful thing that he has done. And we are now in Proverbs chapter 27. There are only 31 chapters. And for the month of July, we decided we would read through. And we are we are at chapter 27. And if God does not, um, you know, forbear life, if he doesn't reclaim our lives, we will be uh, at the end very soon. And we are so grateful. We have a you know, nice little surprise if it all comes off just right. The person that I have asked to do our Sunday reading and give comments is also presently dealing with a funeral. So we hope that she'll be able to come. But if not, the same glory is going to be uh, come forth because God is the author and the finisher. And that's just how it goes. Good evening, Light Touch. I am so glad you're here. We're going to read through Proverbs 27 and we're going to be out because we're going to visit again tonight at eight o'clock with Pastor John Thomas, who always has a good word for us. So may God be praised. Here we go. Father, we thank you for what you have done and are still doing. Thank you, Lord, for changing us. Woo, I love it. For that transformation, that metamorphosis. We might uh, not look like the butterflies we're going to be, but one day we will really, truly be truly transformed into the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ. And as you are doing your work in us, Father, we are the benefactors of the change. We can feel it, see it, know it, and we are happy about it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, as we read, open our ears to hear, Lord God, and our hearts to heed your every admonition. Let us be honest and truthful in what we see in ourselves and then confess our sin and give it to you and give you praise in advance of even what we might see manifest as we have prayed in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, Proverbs 27 verse 1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. This is another proverb that receives emphasis in the New Testament. It, it comes right back to the um, book of James. And I think it says, uh, don't say what you will do tomorrow for uh, if you must say, if God God is willing then I'll do this or that tomorrow, right? You can't say tomorrow and and um, be fully persuaded or knowing, knowing you're persuaded, but you don't know exactly that the Lord will give you tomorrow. So let us always be mindful that our lives are 
his and our the days of our lives are in his hands. So we won't be so boastful of what will happen tomorrow, anticipating what you cannot fully be, you know, know that is going to come to pass. So I want us to remember this. I'm going to the book of James because I do want to read it for you. And just in case I didn't quote it uh, as good as I ought to have. So it's probably uh, James, the book of James, chapter four, verse one. What is the source of the wars and fights that come from among you? I'm sorry, it's verse 13. Okay, the way it's written there, it's hard to tell. Verse 13, come now. You who say today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make profit. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are a bit of smoke that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and such boasting is evil. Mm. Isn't that something? Pay close attention. God's word has never lied. There's an old expression, you ain't never lied. And that's <laughs> what comes to mind when I read God's word. It is always true. Verse two says, let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth, a stranger and not thine own lips. So uh, just never praise yourself. Let other people see you and, and recognize what you have to offer and, and let them do the praising. It would be difficult to compress more wisdom into fewer words, so says Kaufman's commentary on the Bible. That's right. Let others praise you. Do not boast yourself in anything because the book of James just told us such boasting is not is evil. It's evil. Such arrogance, such boasting. Who are you? And by the way, we have nothing more than we have been giving, given. And see, that's another New Testament. It's in, the, in, in 1 Corinthians. Why do you boast in, in a thing that you have been given? You didn't make it yourself. You didn't make you as wonderful as you think you are. <laughs> if you're wonderful, God did it. And so you have to give praise and acknowledge that he is the one and not we ourselves. Verse 3 says, um, a stone is heavy and the sand weighty, but a fool's vexation is heavier than them both. I'm telling you, vexation, irritation, you know, just the things that they will do. Somebody who is without understanding and without knowledge. And remember, um, righteous Lot was vexed by living near Sodom and Gomorrah. He was constantly vexed. So it is written in the Bible. Yeah, because there was a lot of folly in Sodom and Gomorrah. There was a lot of sin there. And that foolishness can get on your mind. Have you ever lived in a place where people were too loud and they, they were like playing their music way too loud and, and they're like, you know, uh, carousing and coming in and out and there's a little this going on? When you live in big cities like New York, you're, you're kind of apt to, you know, be in the throes of that from time to time. And then even if you live in a, in a nice neighborhood, there are people there who are from, you know, different places and they have a different idea of what it means to live in community and they park their cars in the middle of the street. They come up and blow their horns for people to come in. It can be just a constant 
vexation. And that is the, the idea. The foolishness of people can, can be very, very vexing to us. And it is compared to the heaviness of a stone and the weight of the sand. And sand is very weighty. This morning, uh, Minister Amy really brought that out. You it, Walking on the beach, right, and trying to get through that sand. Oh my goodness, that is really, people love the beach and they say run on the sand, but I never like to run on the sand because your feet burrow down in it. And then you have to, every step is like she said, you have to kind of lift them up and put them in the next place. And then of course it sticks to you. So that's the, the idea here. Weighty, heavy, heavy as in burdensome. Better is open rebuke than love that is hidden. I'm telling you, the love that is in, in, in here is uh, made in, inferior to an open rebuke is that which is, uh, I'm sorry, the love that is here made inferior to open rebuke is that which in the presence of a situation that requires rebuke, rebuke I don't know what this man is saying, but anyway, I, I, I see this as this. You stand in the corner and you're saying, I love this one and I love that one. And yet you won't even call the one that you love out on those things that could be harmful to his or her life. Don't stand over here and say, I love them, and then won't help them. See, rebuke is help. And open rebuke, I don't think it means embarrassing someone in a crowd. I really think it means going face to face and, and letting them know, you know, if there is something wrong, right? So, uh, that's the open rebuke that I think he's, he or she is talking about here. And verse six says, um, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are profuse. So when a friend uh, comes to you and gives you rebuke, that it, you know, it may sting for a minute. It's a wound maybe, right? But that is so much more a faithful rendering of friendship than someone who will talk about, you know, who will say niceties and don't mean them, niceties to your face and talk about you behind your back. You want to have faithful friends who I want to have faithful friends, people who will, who will call me out on what is not good in my life. And like I said this morning, this is not about your preference to how I wear my hair or my choice of clothes or shoes or where I live. That's not what we're talking about, this external stuff. We're talking about character, internal stuff, the things that God is concerned with and the things that we should be concerned with, with regards to our salvation and our eternal rest in the home that God has prepared for us. Verse seven says, the full soul loathes a honeycomb, but to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Okay, so uh, you're talking about honey, but really uh, it goes a little bit further than what, what we're, we're saying here. It's metaphorical of a higher truth than than just food. It's the continual indulgence of pleasure of any kind that brings on a satiation and a weary, weariness, but the self-restraint self uh, multiplies enjoyment. So it's like this. If I I, I decide I like, um, I like movies, I like to go to the movie, but you end up going every week, every week. You, you get tired of it, truly. 
or if you decide that, you know, I really love, um, I don't know, to, to play cards after a while, it's just redundant. But if you restrain and say, I'm going to play once a month or, I, you know, I'm going to go on vacation every uh, six months, or I'm going to take a little break here, then you are excited for it to come and you're not satiated by the constancy of it. In other words, it's indulgence, it's overindulgence. And what you want to do is restrain yourself. We want to be more at peace. And by the way, when you um, uh, delay gratification, you are much better to uh, overcome temptation because you've already bought yourself into submission to what is uh, good wisdom. Verse eight, as a bird that wandereth from her nest, so is a man that wandereth from his place. Now, I, I read the, um, there are some scriptural references that go, go with this. And the connotation in those references uh, to me had to do with sin. So um, this comment says, this speaks of the inherent instinctive desire for men to remain at home. In our current culture, finding a new home is not nearly as difficult as it was in ancient times. But in those earlier periods, changing one's residence was fraught with all kinds of dangers and hardships. And when God pronounced his judgment against Cain for the murder of Abel, Cain complained that my punishment is greater than I can bear. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer in the earth. That's the connotation. That is the implication here. So like a bird that strays from its nest is the man who strays from home. You know, if you get out there too far, finding the nest again might be almost impossible, especially if the nest gets moved. And that is the, the uh, implication here. So we want to, uh, in, in, even, in, even in today when it is easier to find a home, really, the, uh, the old uh, saying that, that the grass is greener on, on another side, right? It, it may not be as green as you think. You're standing afar off, you're looking and it looks greener. But if you stray away at, into that territory, you may find that the grass was green on the periphery and, and dead, dead on in the center. See, because you can't see well enough. So take care. Ponder that one. Verse nine says, oil and perfumes rejoice the heart. So doth the sweetness of a man's friend that comes of hearty counsel, that comes from hearty counsel. So now I, I'm just going to stab at this. David and Jonathan were really good friends. And Jonathan's loyalty to David really helped protect David's life from Jonathan's father. Right, who was jealous of David and wanted to kill him. Now, Jonathan's father was King Saul, and he hated David, who simply had come in to help the king in a war against the, um, I forget what they would call him, but Goliath there. Goliath was a part of a, 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 a from a, a group of people who were very, um, very tall. They were big people. You know that the Bible calls them giants. They may not have been giant, no more giant than the five. I mean, the six footers in our day, because in in general, I think the Israelites are are short people. So these people to them were giants, and they may have been giants. I don't know. 
true giants. I mean, you know, like seven feet tall and well, 12 feet tall or something. And little old David came in to help the king and slew him. But the people then rejoiced about David. And so Saul got jealous because he David was getting more attention than the folks because David was a very courageous young man. And so Saul did a whole bunch of stuff. And the Lord anointed David to be the king in in, in succession, right? He, he took the throne from Saul. But uh, Saul's son, Jonathan, loved David as well. And he was a friend in adversity. And the Proverbs tell, tell us that a good friend is born for adversity. When you're going through troubles, a friend will be there, right? So that's what is said here. Oil and perfume rejoice the heart. Uh, so does the sweetness. So the, the comparison is to what oil and perfume do to you inside. But a good friend does the same. All righty. So verse 10, your own friend and your father's friend don't forsake those and do not go, uh, go not to that brother's house in the day of thy calamity. Better is a neighbor that is near than a brother that is far off. Now, this is also a little bit in the last one that we just talked about. Uh, two other Proverbs are connected with the admonition that we have in this one, and they are Proverbs 17, 17 and Proverbs 18, 24. Proverbs 19, 7 explains how it is that brothers may hate each other. And uh, so if you have a neighbor or a friend nearby, then don't don't try to get to the brother, you know, especially if there's tension between the two of you. That's how that goes. Uh, be quite unwilling to aid. Um, family can be really un, un, unwilling to stay your friend. And I don't know about you, but within my own a family, I have experienced a, a little bit of that. And we are very close for the most part. You know, I would never have thought to do so, but there can be contentions there. And I always wanted uh, uh, family members to go, you know, to be a part of the things that I'm doing. And I always tried to pull them in. Well, the Lord maybe didn't even make them to do that. And so many times I've been disappointed because they wouldn't do it, right? But then I started thinking about it. Why would they if, if it's not something they're interested in or something they want to do? And therefore, uh, you begin to create another network. And, and really and truly, the Lord brings good friends uh, in your in your midst, or, or at least for a season, you know, good, good acquaintances, I'll put it that way. And then some of them remain friends, and they are more loyal and more faithful than family. So consider that one as well. Ponder it. Verse 11, my son, be wise and make my heart glad that I may answer him that reproaches me. And um, this is a young person's father, his teacher, or some friend. And the reproach uh, probably refers to some real or contemplated misdemeanor by the youth. And, you know, so we as parents in this present day, we are reproached. Our children are reproached by teachers all the time. We have to live through that madness, you know. And um, uh, so we, we teach our children to go off and act, be nice, be nice, right? Uh, have good manners. Say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, thank you, and please, and uh, make sure you don't act out. You know, you're doing all this stuff. I think it's the most abnormal thing you can do to a child, truly, to send them off to school. Honest goodness, I can't help myself. But uh, we do have to send them off to be educated. But I do rather like the idea of hiring a teacher to come in and teach mine at home or doing it myself. 
Uh, but that is kind of that that uh, context there. A prudent man seeth evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and suffer for it. Take his garment that he is surety for a friend and hold him in a pledge that is surety for a foreign woman. Oh, my goodness. Like I said, Solomon knew a thing or two about foreign women because those foreign women had all of them their own you know, religious ways. And they led, uh, were, were, they were performing idolatry in Israel. And what could have displeased the Lord more than that? He had given a, 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 a law that thou shalt have no other gods before me. And, you know, they, there they were with all these gods in high places and people doing all these sacrifices and, and stuff. But uh, the verse starts with a prudent man uh, sees evil. Now, we, we heard this in previous Proverbs. Um, if, if you are prudent, if you're careful, if you're watchful, if you're concerned with your own character and the outcome of the outcomes of your choices, you will be prudent. That's prudent, uh, prudence. And when when you see evil, you flee from that. You get away from that. Right. We should do that because you can get entangled with something that is detrimental to your own life. How many times have we seen that happen to our young people? Many, 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 many times. And they get all entangled and now they get, uh, you know, a, a reputation for being something that, that in their inner person they really are not. But there it is. So be uh, tell yourself that you're going to be prudent, savvy, enter the live studio. Bless you. We are in uh, Proverbs chapter 27. Now we are in verse uh, 14. So he that blesses his friend with a loud voice rising early in the morning, well, it shall be counted a curse to him. And this, so some uncertainty has been expressed about the exact meaning of this particular proverb. It, it is a rebuke of loud mouth adulation to which the public will ascribe evil intent on the part of the flatterer. Now, you know, loud mouth is never good. So a loud mouth blessing will call down the wrath of God. Who shall consider it a curse? So this commentary says, now I didn't get all of that personally, but alternate interpretations uh, say our own view of the passage is that any inconsiderate loud mouth communication from a neighbor before daylight in the morning would be viewed by the recipient as rude and inappropriate, even if the words were flattering. And that's the real truth. Who in the world wants somebody to jump up early in the morning and be screaming out something that is uh, probably, I don't know, flattery? And, you know, we're to beware of flattery. So if he gets up and does it, my thought would be he has some, you know, some evil intention. I would not consider that a friend at all. And sometimes it's embarrassing for people to start talking loud about how good you are, or whatever it is they're saying, you know what I mean? And call themselves your friend. I would be very mindful of that. I would be very watchful of that person. I don't like I don't like flattery. I don't like for people to be continuously saying, oh, you're good at this. and Oh, you look so good. And you do the, the. that gets on my nerves, really and truly, because I don't believe it, really. I don't believe there's any sincerity in it. And that's kind of uh, what is saying here. Yeah, that verse is very odd. <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> verse 14. Apparently, you know, somebody was doing that because here it is in the words. <laughs> Guys, that's really funny. It is odd. And when I first read it, I was thinking, what? 
<laughs> we don't live in a culture quite like that, but I bet you we do. It depends on where you live and who you live with, right? Because several cultures convene in certain neighborhoods. And in those neighborhoods, oh my goodness, there is definitely culture clash because you're thinking, good Lord, where is this all about? Where did this come from? But there it is. <laughs> verse 15, we like, to, we like to, to read verse 15, right? We've read it several times throughout the Proverbs. A continual dropping in a very, on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. He that would restrain her restraineth the wind and that is impossible you cannot restrain the wind <laughs> and his right hand encountereth oil and it's just like slippery you know what i mean you're trying to restrain this woman and a contentious person and they are just like on go they're like wild bucks you can't do it and um so uh and and so it's like oil that just you just can't hold anything if your hands are real slippery with oil right and you sure enough cannot restrain the wind so contentious ladies let's pay attention right and contentious men let's pay attention <laughs> what's good for the goose is for the gander so as my mother says so iron sharpeneth iron i love this one so a man sharpeneth the counsel of his friend absolutely based upon the truism that a friend would not sharpen the features of another's face uh, is the following as one iron implement is sharpened by another, so a man sharpens the perception of his companion. However, would not the joy over the arrival of a friend actually change the appearance of a companion's face, wreathing it in smiles? Oh, well, yes. But you know what? I take this to mean that when I am with um, people who are in Christ with like-minded believers, there is a certain abrasion that happens as we are becoming the unified body of Jesus Christ because God has so given us different minds to process and to see things, right? And so it takes humility to be in that relationship. And therefore, to me, the iron is sharpening the iron like the knife against the pumice stone sharpens that blade the same is true and therefore we must love it love it welcome it and when you realize that you're going to be in an abrasive kind of moment there you ask the lord what he's doing so what you're doing to me lord let me get it right and if we all did that we'd soon be over the abrasion and we would be into the camaraderie and the fellowship. May God help us in these things. Thank you, Jesus. Whoso keepeth the fig tree shall eat the fruit thereof, and he that regardeth the master shall be honored. That is so self-evident, right? Paul uh, had this in mind in 2 Timothy 2.6. So this person says, the what is 2 Timothy 2.6? Let's read it, okay? I don't like to leave things undone and hanging. So let's find 2 Timothy 2.6. Uh, yeah, 2 Timothy, here we go. 2.6 says, in a minute I'll see it. It is the hard-working farmer 
who ought to be the first to get share of the crops. Oh, I say this all the time. Uh, the the, the uh, husbandman, the one who tends the crop, must be the first partaker of the fruit. In other words, before you send it out to anybody else, you taste it and make sure it is just what it ought to be. So when I tend it, I'll eat the fruit first. And then uh, he that regardeth the matter, the master, those who help, I suppose, is what he's talking about. The faithful servant who administers uh, will not be without their due reward. And that is the truth, right? If you ever lived around farmers, you know that this is the truth. When they pull in that watermelon load, right? The farmer who owns the farm, he cracks open that watermelon and tastes it. And then he passes it out to everybody else's help. Thank you, Jesus. I've been somewhere and seen some things. This is good. Okay, verse 19, as in water, Face answereth face, so the heart of man to the heart of man. This is it. You cannot deny who you are when you're looking straight at yourself in the reflection of the water. And think of the water as a mirror. Oh, it's a wonderful axiom. Still water serves as a mirror for one looking into it and reflecting one's very likeness. The same is true in human relationships. One heart to the other heart. The heart of a man to a man. A grouchy, evil-spirited person evokes the same attitude in everyone he confronts. And the same is true of a happy and cheerful person. See, I, you know, I say to people, if, if everybody's telling you the same thing, well, my mother and my father told me, if everybody's saying the same thing about you, you know there got to be some truth in it. So stop, take a good look and, and assess, right? And then say, Lord, change that. That's not what I mean. So sometimes it's just an adjustment of how you uh, express what you're thinking. And then other times it is really what you are expressing and thinking, right? So let the Lord help us in all things. Verse 20, Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied and the eyes of a man are never satisfied. Absolutely. You know, the, the grave is never satisfied and hell is never satisfied. You, you could send the whole world into either one of these and they just still have room for more, you see, because it's never satisfied. So um, um, let's see. Death itself is never satisfied, but uh, we the eyes of a man are like that. If you don't watch it, your lust will overtake you, and lust brings about a certain death, if not death itself. Okay, all righty. Uh, verse uh, Proverbs fifteen eleven. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Verse twenty one. I, I was reading the wrong thing. The refining pot for silver and the furnace for gold. And a man is tried by his praise. This is similar to Proverbs 17, verse 3. Excuse me, but the difference there, Jehovah is the tester of men. And here it is the public in this, in this uh, proverb uh, referring to Okay, I don't. I, I kind of don't really agree with that. But anyway, the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, and a man's is to be estimated according to his reputation. Right? When you, when when the uh, dross and all of that is um, taken away, then the silver, the finer, can create a beautiful object of a valuable metal. And I think that with with us, the same is true. We, we are like the silver, but there's so much dross 
with with us, right? There's so much that needs to be discarded, done away with, crucified, as as it is written in the Bible. Crucify the flesh and its affections. You see, let all that stuff die. Keep on working that it does. And then the, the finer, who is God Almighty, brings forth a very fine vessel, one of great value. Truck jewels, I love it that you've come Thank you very much. And verse 22 says, Though thou shouldst bray a fool in a mortar with pestle, along with bruised grain, yet will not his foolishness depart from him. Now this is, if anyone owns a mortar and pestle, right? It's that little round dish, and, and it has kind of look like a hammer-looking little thing. Well, it's not hammer-looking, like, but it's a crusher that comes with it. And uh, what you do is you put whatever it is you're crushing in there and you crush, you know, you just keep turning and working it and crushing it and running. And uh, so it gets bruised, of course. Most often it's garlic, right? That that, that I would, that I, that's all I use mine for mostly, but you can use it for cinnamon, um, uh, you know, for herbs and spices like that. So even if you do this to a foolish person, even if that person gets crushed and, and, and bruised and, you know, kicked about and, talked about and pushed down listen that fool won't he won't depart from his foolishness because you see it isn't the crushing that changes a man's heart it is the recognition of who they really are which is why i say if you never read the bible if you never read the bible and you have really no interest in it okay but you are the kind of person who kind of like wise sayings, you know, and want to get about. Read Proverbs. Read Proverbs and get deep down into the into the very crevices of your own character and see what God is saying and see what God is requiring. But nowhere in Proverbs is there a word that says the Lord wants you to do this or the Lord wants you to do that. It's not even there. So you can read it without feeling like somebody is preaching at you. And yet, th th these proverbs are really, are really, really, really bringing instruction and understanding, so that you, your wisdom. See, learning all these gives you wisdom. That's it. You, you, you're taking in the wisdom, but if you do not contextually apply it, when the time comes, you are like this fool being bruised and burned. You're not. You're never gonna. You're never gonna change. You have to be able to apply wisdom to situations. And when you find yourself coming behind the wisdom, in other words, you do the thing and then you are, you see it. You, you see, you do the evil and then you sit back and say, I shouldn't have done that. That that does you no good that way it does because you now you got to pay the price, right? And so every time you pay the price for something, you tend to learn it a little bit quicker, maybe. But this says the fool won't even learn then. Oh, I got, I, I, you know, I used to say, Lord, please don't let me learn because I've been, I've been spanked. I, I want to learn when somebody tells me something. I don't want, I don't want to go through the harshness of a chastisement like that. I want to know before so that I can avoid those consequences. So verse 23 says, be diligent to know the state of your flocks and look well to your herds. For riches are not forever, and doth the crown endure unto all generations. Here we are saying that riches can fade, and 
people who sit on thrones may not be there. That Well, they are not going to be there through all generations. They are going to die. But even it could be taken from their family. You know, the inheritance of, of a crown right now, it doesn't have to be that Queen Elizabeth's son will ever sit on that throne. It just depends on the society in which they live. It depends on whether or not the Lord God has appointed that family to continue in the reign. There could be an overthrow. There, there are many, many factors that uh, play into whether or not riches last forever. And the crown and riches are pretty much you know, synonymous here, I would think. So the hay is carried and the tender grass shows itself and the herbs of the mountains are gathered in. The lambs are for thy clothing and the goats are the price of the field and there will be goats milk enough for your food, the food of your household and maintenance for your maidens. This passage is beautiful to me. I love it. It emphasizes, according to the commentary, and I didn't, I didn't read this this morning. It came, it just rolled out of me this morning because when I read it, I was just overjoyed. Uh, if you are diligent in your own life, if you take care of those things which God has given you, if you actually um, uh, work and allow Him to perfect, in other words, mature the gifts that He's given you and mature you in the use of them, he will be glorified and you will be supplied. Sufficiency will be yours. I dare say you will have an overflow and more than enough to share. Oh, this is good. This is good to me. Mm. It's designed, this passage says, to, to show the interplay between man's labor and the nurture of God, which is a sophisticated, in a sophisticated society, neglects at its moral peril. Yeah, no nurture in society is to the society's detriment. But take it closer to home. If you do not nurture your relationship with the Lord, it is to your detriment. Nurture that relationship. Think about God as he really is. He is creator of all. He is the beginning of everything and the end of it all. He is the author of our faith and he is the finisher, but he's the author of life and he will be the finisher. He has the power to pronounce your longevity or to truncate your days. He is almighty God. That's why I like to think of him first in the magnificence of his very being. And then think of him as the sustainer of everything. The Bible says that worlds are upheld by the power of his word. So he's continuously speaking. And listen, I stumbled on the wild water show, but honestly, the more I talk about it, the more I see he is, he is really performing 
all the time. God is performing all the time. Who is it that holds the, the waters at the shoreline? That's amazing to me. You got all this water and it's going and coming by the, you know, the sun is, is, is what is it? The moon is, is a controller of the tide. How are they connected? I don't even, I have no clue. And yet the tide comes in and the tide goes out. And I'm telling you that tide comes in. If you've ever seen high tide, it comes in with a fierce power, but it hits that shoreline and it ain't coming no further. Woo. It's amazing to me. Even. When we have hurricanes and storms and that shoreline of the tsunamis, it gets in, it gets in. But at some point, God says enough, no further, and it washes back out. And this is every day, every day, not ever so often, but every day, the tide. Three or four, How many times a day does the tide come in? Comes in in the mornings and then it goes back out, right? I think it's a, a separation of maybe four to six hours. So it's coming about four times a day. We, we're seeing this on this side of the world. God is amazing. And all it takes is belief and faith. Hold fast. Don't let anything or anybody take your faith in God. Don't let them like water down that belief that he is who he is. Don't let people say, uh, you know, stuff that they, they just make these mocking remarks about a power they have no idea about and change your heart and your mind. And don't you ever fail to believe that there is nothing, nothing that he cannot do. I mean, nothing. I would ask him to mend my teeth again, and I believe he can do it. God knows I believe he can do it. I believe he can heal my body. He made it. And I'm saying there's nobody that knows more about my body than you do. And so when I feel things in my body, I'm busy saying, Father, this is of you. Now, if he doesn't do it, if he's calling me out, he's going to talk to me. He's going to give me peace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's all I'm saying. Know that the Lord our God is with us and that he is not willing that any should perish. He is a God who loves and will supply every need according to his riches and glory. Not my riches, his riches. And his riches in glory <laughs> are just what the Psalm 19 says. Read Psalm 19. It's been a season for me in that Psalm. The Lord is good. In fact, I'm going to end our time tonight by reading it. I, I, I just think that I can't read it enough because it is speaking the magnificence, just the magnificence of God and re, 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 recounting to us his, his story, his story, who he is, who he is, and why every day we ought to give glory and honor to him and praise him for his wonderful works towards the children of men. So it is written. I am looking for a Bible that I don't seem to have. So I'll have to read it from the home and I don't know where I put my Bible. Mm, that's amazing. It's been quite an eventful day for me. Yeah, I've been here and there and everywhere. I'm going to read it from the King James. I just put my hands on it. Uh, stay with me a second, please. It's coming. But remember that the Lord has spoken to us magnanimously in these Proverbs, and we ought to all be so grateful to him 
and we should go and ponder every word that we've heard and thank God for making us aware. Never despise the chastisement of the Lord. For no chastisement seemeth right or good for a moment, but afterward, the word says, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. With righteousness comes peace. Hallelujah. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night shows knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. I'm telling you, you can speak Greek, Hebrew, you can speak languages from the Orient. They understand it too. Their line is gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoicing as a strong man to run a race. Woo, his going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof, talking about the sun. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb, talking about the statutes of the Lord. Moreover, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Believe it, children. Believe what I'm saying and reading here in this word. Believe God. By the keeping of his statutes there is great reward. And in hearing his word, we are being warned. See, there is going to be a final day in this earth. He is going to purify it. He is going to establish his kingdom. We will sit at the lamb's, uh, uh, the, the wedding supper of the lamb. We will inherit eternal life. We will. Lie back on your bed, sit back in your chair, close your eyes and say, God, make it real to me because it's real. Who can understand his errors? Who? None of us. That's why reading the Proverbs has been so amazing because you can look deep within. Just the way they're stated, we can say, oh, ooh, ooh. Is that me? You see? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. What a song.
What a song for such a time as this. Our God has caused us to dine again. We have eaten well at his table. We have taken of the beauty of his presence. We've enjoyed his embrace. Father, thank you. Father, thank you. Thank you. Bring it to us, Lord God, that we may grow and truly be the planting of the Lord, trees of righteousness. And with that, my beloved, I'm so glad you came. Thank you. Thank you, Light Touch. You're so faithful. She writes, God be praised. <laughs> God's blessings surround you and follow you always in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 And with that, my darlings, we shall clap our hands like the trees of the field as we go out rejoicing. Have a great night. Hope you can come back and hear and all that getting, get understanding. May the Lord our God bless you and keep you. Hallelujah. Thank you. It is beautiful. God is beautiful. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs>